You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome to Financial Clarity for Doctors. I'm Corey Janoff, joined as always by Rochelle Vanderzanden. Hello. And today is a special day. This will be episode number 30, assuming we get it approved and published in order. Um, But when this publishes, it'll be almost exactly a year since our first episodes dropped. So happy first birthday to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? It's been an exciting (laughs) year. Um, We've seen some some nice growth over the the first year, and we're excited to keep this train rolling. Got some good content, uh, some good topics in the works, but feel free to reach out to us with any suggestions or requests. Um, you can reach out to us on social media or email podcast at thefinitygroup.com. But today, we've got a fun topic that really is applicable to everyone, not just doctors, um, and, and it's retirement planning, or more specifically, how much money do doctors need to retire, which is the, the big question that everyone's probably pondering in, in their mind, you know, how much do I actually need if I want to be able to hang up the coat one day? Mm-hmm. And then make a plan to get there. Yes, and make a plan to get there. So, so we're going to talk through some things to figure out um, how to estimate what you might need in retirement and then kind of talk about some rules of thumb for, for how to get there. Um, and hopefully we can get you guys started on the right track. Absolutely. And obviously, just like anything in financial planning, it's something you have to revisit from time to time as your income changes, maybe your estimated need in retirement changes. Maybe you decide you really don't want to retire at 60, you want to retire at 55, like you have to be paying attention, but it's fun just to think about that one number. Like Mm -hmm. what could that one number possibly be? Goals change, lifestyle changes, Mm -hmm. and don't stress yourself out too much about trying to figure out exactly how much you need to retire because... It's there's so many variables at play here, so many unknowns. You know, we don't know how long you're going to live. We don't know what taxes are going to be like in retirement. We don't know what our lifestyle is going to be like. Our goals could change over time. Mm -hmm. Expenses could be different. So it's a fluid, evolving situation. Um, So really just we're trying to get a rough guess. So we kind of know the general direction we need to head. And that's really the best you can do. And as you narrow in on that, and date, if you will, we can refine it a little bit further. But for most of you listening to this, you're still pretty early in your careers. Um, So we've got such a long ways out so much time, so many variables at play, um, that it's really hard to say I need 3.78 million, and then I'll be able to retire because it's going to be a moving target. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the, the first step that we can think about is an easy one. Well, for some people, it kind of depends on how much you think about it. But first, you just need to estimate, like, how much money do you need right now? Because that's going to give us a good sense of how much we might need in the future. 
So just think about what all of your bills are, what all of your expenses are, what's all the fun stuff that you want to do. Because when you're retired, especially on the early end, you're still going to want to do that stuff. It's not like all of that just goes away. So the idea is that we are retiring and hopefully maintaining the same lifestyle, maybe even doing a little bit more fun. Yeah, every so, day is a weekend in retirement. Absolutely. So you might even have some more fun, early, especially early on. <laughs> yeah. So there may be a few things in your monthly budget right now that you won't have as an expense in retirement. I think the biggest one for a lot of our clients is probably the student loans. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> or hopefully not. Maybe you don't have student loans. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they're gone by the time you get to yes, retirement. absolutely. So obviously, like, that's not obviously, but again, hopefully that's not going to be an expense in retirement, so we can knock that one off the budget. Um, and then there are a few other things that may or may not be there. If you do have kids, hopefully, your child care expenses are reduced. You may have some amount of support for like your older children, but hopefully, again, that's greatly reduced. And other things might reduce too, like insurance premiums. Yeah, so disability insurance as a retiree, probably not gonna be paying for that one. There may be some other insurances as well. Um, but you can kind of think about the ones that would make sense to have in retirement and not make sense to have in retirement. Yeah, the life insurance need probably goes way down once you've accumulated enough assets mm -hmm. to where your family would be okay without you. Yep, and we're assuming that you're still going to pay some taxes likely in retirement, so that will still be an expense, but maybe it'll be less depending on where your retirement savings are. And um, just living expenses too, you know, if, you, mm -hmm. if you're living on less, all else being equal, tax rates should be less. Mm -hmm. um, no guarantees, tax rates change over time. Um, but then, you know, if you're not, working and earning an active income, you won't be paying into Social Security or Medicare. So, you know, they should be lower than your, your peak earning years, hopefully. Absolutely. And then there are some expenses that will go up in retirement. So we can't assume that we can live on less money in retirement until we're taking all of those things into consideration, too. So health insurance can be a big cost. And we don't know exactly what that's going to look like 30 years from now. So that's another thing that we have to think about a little bit too. Like, you know, what does Medicare look like then? If you're retiring early, there is no Medicare. So you're going to have to make sure that you have enough money in the budget to pay for that out of pocket. Um, so lots of things to consider. But like when you look at your budget as it is, you can kind of take a guess, you know, cross out the things that you don't think you'll have, add on a little bit more for the things that you'll be doing more of. Um, I think it's safe to assume that maybe you spend a little bit more on traveling and fun things and eating out because like Corey said, every day is a weekend. Um, and maybe you want to spend a little bit more time with your family. If your family doesn't live close by, you might spend more doing that, like traveling to them and spending time with them. Anything else you can think of, Corey? Um, I think, you know, one that a lot of people think of that won't be present is a mortgage, um, which may be true, may not be true, kind of depends on the circumstances. But even if you've paid off your mortgage in full, you're still going to have property taxes. If your neighborhood or condo you live in has HOA dues, you'll still probably pay for your homeowner's insurance. So you, know, you got to keep that in mind. What portion is actually just my mortgage payment and what's the other stuff that will still be present in the future? Um, the health insurance one's probably a big one, especially if you're retiring before age 65 when Medicare kicks in. You know, you're probably, who knows what the health insurance landscape will look like down the road, but right now you're probably looking around a thousand bucks a person to pay for private health insurance in your late 50s, early 60s. Mm -hmm. So something to, to keep in mind there to budget for um, and add into that equation. It's not cheap, for sure. And then, I mean, you have a number, and it is obviously like, 
a rough estimate, but it's better than no estimate at all. So that's the number that we can start with for how much you might need per month. And then from there, obviously, we can add it up and think about how much might we need per year. Um, and then that gives us a good idea of like how much we need to accumulate in order to be able to draw down that amount per year. And one big thing that we have to remember is that like inflation is bare. So mm -hmm. like if we need $80,000 a year now to live on and pay our bills, that's not going to be what we need in 30 years. Correct. It's like doubling in 20, 25 years or so about. Yeah. I mean, again, another variable that's hard to predict mm -hmm. what is inflation exactly going to be. Um, but if assuming a 3% inflation rate, which is about the historical average and depending on which uh, metric you look at it, you mm -hmm. know, you might see numbers that are a little higher, a little lower, but um, let's just go with that 3% target. And if that's the case, uh, you're looking at cost of living doubling every 24 years. Right. So yeah, probably every 25 to 30 years, you can expect expenses to double. So we, uh, we got to be prepared for that. Absolutely. So if you need 80 now, you're going to need 160 plus, depending on how many years you have until retirement. But it's, it's a big, big part of why we're saving for retirement aggressively early on and hopefully investing in a smart and careful way. So some rules of thumb that we can use um, that y some of you may have heard of before, they're, you can, they're often cited on the internet, but one, a common one is the 4% safe withdrawal rate. And this was discovered by a financial advisor named William Bengen, 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 I think I'm pronouncing his name. One of those two ways, back in the, the mid-90s, um, where he, he looked at historical returns of the stock market and bonds and portfolios and uh, concluded that um, you can safely withdraw 4% of a portfolio's initial value um, adjusted for inflation and have a very low risk of running out of money. And this was further confirmed in a study at Trinity University, and it's often called the Trinity Study as well. But um, uh, so that's a good a, a good rule of thumb to go by. So if you have a, a $1 million portfolio at the start of retirement, you could safely withdraw roughly 40000 of that per year adjusted for inflation and be unlikely to run out of money over a 30-year span. Um now, in some scenarios, you'll end up with even more than what you started with. You know, again, this is the safe withdrawal rate. So what, you know, unlikely to run out of any money. So there's a good chance you'll have a lot more to leave behind at the finish line. Uh, there, there's a decent chance you could even withdraw slightly more than 4% and be okay over a 30-year span. But if we want to plan around what's a, a good number to shoot for so we don't have to feel stressed in retirement about money, that's a good one. And this uh, also goes hand in hand with a 25 times spending rule. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you have a, uh, if you need 40,000 a year in that example, multiplied by 25, that's a million, you know, one twenty-fifth is 4%. So an easier way, rather than trying to do the 4% math, because division is harder in our head than multiplication, I think, if you just multiply your total expenses that you need, and don't forget some taxes, you know, even if yeah. we're not working in retirement, there will be some taxes that we have to pay. Um, whether it be taxes on withdrawals from our pre-tax retirement accounts that are 100% taxable as income in retirement. You'll have some capital gains taxes on other investment earnings. The Roth accounts are tax-free, mm -hmm. so the more money you have in Roths, the better. 
the property but, taxes, like we mentioned before. Yeah, and I guess if that's factored into your overall expenses mm-hmm. uh, piece of it. But yeah, you know, who knows? Um, th- there might be some other little taxes here and there. But overall, our, our taxes should be less. But, you know, if we go with a, a rough estimate, um, you know, don't forget to include those in your overall expenses that you're planning around. And then just multiply that by 25, and that's a, a rough number that you can shoot for to, to be in the ballpark of when you can safely retire. Yep. And there are a few little rules of thumb that they have online, too, about, like, how do we know if we're on track to save for reti- or saving for retirement? And some places you'll find, like, in your 30s, you should have two times your animal, annual income. In your 40s, maybe three to four times. In your 50s, maybe, like, six to seven times. And this assumes that you're going to retire at age 65. So we can use those as benchmarks, but for most of our listeners, at the beginning, you're going to be behind, Like in your 30s, maybe you have one times your income, but maybe that's $50,000 and that's not what you're planning on your income being in even five years. And so there is definitely, we've talked about this before, that aspect of just playing catch up as a physician. You have extended periods of time and training. And then if we can hit the ground running and start saving pretty aggressively on the front end of your career and get to the point where where we're, we need to be a little bit earlier, your investments will have longer to grow. So if we can even, you know, by the time we're in our 40s, get to the point where we have three to four times our income, like we've already paid catch up a little bit and we're in a better position at that point. So yeah, catch up. Absolutely. You know, most people have roughly a 40 year timeline to save for retirement. Doctors have about a 25 to 30 year timeline Mm -hmm. to save for retirement. So we've mentioned it before, but trying to save at least 20% of your gross income should put you on a good track. If you do that for 25 to 30 years, then um, that, that, you know, should give you a a good probability of success, no guarantees. But Mm -hmm. if you can save 20% of your gross income, do that for 25 to 30 years, you're, you're moving in the right direction. Yep. And I guess that's one thing that we didn't mention in in expenses that you won't have in retirement, saving for retirement. Absolutely. (laughs) So if you're saving 20% of your gross income right now for retirement, and then you get there, like that's 20% of your income that you weren't even using or planning on having. Correct. Yeah, definitely reduces the total figure that you'll need. Same with other savings, like college savings or other goals Mm -hmm. that you're saving for. You know, if we're in retirement and we're not working, we're not saving for future goals, I would imagine. Um, It'd be kind of hard to do without an income per se. So Mm -hmm. yeah, take that savings out of the equation when factoring in how much we need. That's where I like the, rather than, you know, you'll see some guidelines of, oh, you know, you need 60 to 75% of your gross income to support your lifestyle in retirement. Uh, You know, I'd rather look at what are actual expenses Mm -hmm. because a lot of doctors are, are, you know, different than the average American. They're in higher tax brackets. They're having to save more. The student loans are a big factor in the equation. I'll walk through some examples here, but odds are you may even need less than assuming you're, you know, doing things prudently financially and Mm -hmm. saving a healthy amount and, and, you know, living within your means, odds are you'll probably need even less than 75 or 60%, maybe even far less than that of your gross income while you're working. Right. And I think the other thing is that working with clients, everyone has a different idea of what retirement's going to look like. And for some people, it's not necessarily, I don't work at all. It's more, you know, I work in a very reduced capacity or I work because I want to two days a week because I don't want to be bored. And if that's the case and you're earning some part-time income or if you have rental properties or anything else like that, if there's other sources of income, we're less reliant on our retirement savings. And maybe that doesn't mean 
that we need to shoot for a much lower goal, but it gives you a lot more flexibility when you get to retirement as far as like how you're able to spend that money, how much you're able to save to like leave behind for other people. Um, so that's definitely important to think about too, or, or maybe a cherry on the top for, for some folks. Yeah. Like if you estimate you need 150,000 a year to support mm-hmm. your lifestyle in retirement, but you're working, you know, one or two days a week doing research or you're, you know, you're mm-hmm. a, a part-time, you're a medical director at some insurance company, you know, working one day a week, maybe you're ma- maybe you're earning $50,000 a year, you know, that shave a third off of your retirement number then. You know, and maybe you don't do that forever, but we can, you know, it, it definitely helps um, adjust the, the end goal a little bit if you're still earning some income in retirement because you're reducing your spending. Yeah, and it allows you to let your investments grow a little bit longer too if you have to take less of them out. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing that I think is on a lot of people's minds, at least as they get closer to retirement, is Social Security. So obviously we have this built-in safety net to a certain extent, but for people that are 30 years away from retirement, it's not something that really really consider when planning because we don't know what that's going to look like. We do know that for high income earners, it's a much lower percentage of your gross income, so it's not it's not going to be a huge supplement to you in retirement. Um, so just something to be careful about. Like it, it's something a lot of our parents probably relied on a lot more than we're going to be able to. Um, and we'll we'll keep an eye on it and, and see how it evolves over time. But obviously, we don't want to put too much emphasis on, on that piece of our retirement income. Correct. And there will be Social Security. Right. It's not going to disappear, despite some of the doom and gloom headlines <laughs> you might see. It will probably it, look different. Yeah, the formula might be a little different, but probably, I mean, maybe I'm overly optimistic, but I don't think it'll be drastically different. You know, right now, the earliest you can get to your money is age 62. You know, you have to wait till you're 67 uh, to get the full benefit you're eligible for and age 70 to get the maximum benefit you're eligible for. Well, what if they just delay those dates by a couple years? You know, now that really extends the lifeline for, for the Social Security Fund. What if they increase the tax rate? Right now, you're, the, you only pay Social Security taxes on the first 140000 of your income. Well, what if they increase that cap, you know, or, or don't have a cap, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the top 10% of income earners in the country earn 50% of the wages in America. So like you could, you know, the, the, not trying to get political here at all, but like <laughs> you could definitely increase the pot if you increase the limits on that, um, on that tax rate. Uh, without affecting, you know, the bulk of Americans. Now, you know, for, for you doctors, you probably don't like that idea. So, you know, your, your entire income, instead of just maybe a, a quarter or a third of your income is going to be subject to social security taxes. But still, there's, there's little tweaks that the, the, um, you know, Congress could make to social security to really make it more viable for us in the long term. So, you know, I don't, uh, you know, there will be something, it'll probably be different than our parents, mm-hmm. but it may not be drastically different. Who knows? Right. And it's not going to be the bulk of what your income is for retirement either way. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to plan around it. Just like we don't want to plan around matching contributions from an employer. You know, most of your, well, right now, you know, during this COVID pandemic, a lot of employers have stopped contributing to retirement plans, but mm-hmm. most of you have some sort of employer contribution to your retirement plan, um, which we don't want to plan around because it's not guaranteed. We don't know. It could change over time. Um, so we really only want to focus on what we can control. If we can make retirement a success with only the things under our power, 
then like you said, Rochelle, everything else is just a cherry on top and it's only going to increase the odds of success or, or maybe we'll be able to retire sooner when we wake up at our late fifties. Hey, look at this. We've got enough. Let's mm-hmm. call it quits. <laughs> yep. I think all of this is really helpful to talk about in theory, but I think real world examples are very helpful for people to just get their mind where they want to be. So let's think of like a, a typical physician attending physician salary. Yeah. So, well, and typical, I mean, it depends yeah. on the specialty, but let's yeah. just, <laughs> let's just hypothetically, and maybe you need to replay this last segment um, a few times over to follow it. Cause I'm going to fly through a, a bunch of math here for you without a whiteboard. So it might be a little tricky, but hypothetically, let's say you're earning $400,000 per year uh, as a physician. Well, if you're following our rule of thumb, you know, let's try and calculate what you might need in retirement based on that earnings figure. So if you're saving 20% of your income, that's mm-hmm. $80,000 that you don't need. Mm-hmm. Probably a third of your income is going to taxes at that income rate. So, you know, let's just call that 130000 for a rough number. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, $210,000 is out of the picture. So mm-hmm. we're at one ninety. Maybe we're paying 3000 a month to a mortgage. We're paying 2000 a month to childcare. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's another 60000 out of the, the picture. And then maybe you're paying 2500 a month to student loans. So there's another 30000 a year gone. So now we're down to about $100,000 a year of lifestyle expenses, eight or 9000 a month to, to support your lifestyle, you know, food, groceries, travel, fun, et cetera. That's plenty. Which is pretty good. Folks. More than the average American. <laughs> um, and, you know, let's maybe round up. Say you, you travel a little more in retirement and mm-hmm. you're spending 10000 per month, 120000 per year of expenses. Mm-hmm. You know, tack on a little bit for taxes to, to factor into the equation. So maybe we need 150000 a year to support our lifestyle in retirement. But wait, you know, there's probably going to be some matching contributions from the employer. I know I said, don't factor this in social security. Like if you look at today's social security calculations, if you're making 400,000 a year and you wait to age 70 to claim your social security benefit, like you're maxing social security out every year over that time, your benefits going to be like 3,700 bucks a month. And then if you're married, your spouse will get whatever their benefit is or roughly half of yours, whichever is larger. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, you know, conservatively say there's probably 50,000 a year coming from social security for you. So, you know, really, you know, 100,000 a year is what we need to withdraw from our portfolio in today dollars, mm-hmm. adjust for inflation. Maybe it's more like 200,000. So if that's the number we're going off of, you know, multiply by 25, 5 million's our target for what we need to support our lifestyle. Do that last part one more time. So our rule of thumb with that 4% safe <laughs> yep. withdrawal rate yep. or the multi, the 20, the rule of thumb, 25 times your spending. Yep. So if we, after all this moving around of math that I just flew through way too fast, mm-hmm. let's say you need a hundred thousand dollars a year to withdraw from in your portfolio in today dollars, mm-hmm. inflation, mm-hmm. you know, so a hundred thousand times 25 is 2.5 million. Right. If you're in your, you know, mid thirties, late thirties, you know, cost of living is going to double between now and when you retire. So that $2.5 million nest egg we're shooting for, we really need to shoot for a $5 million nest egg in order to afford that retirement. Now let's just do the math. If we're saving 80,000 a year. Because that's our 20% savings rate. Yeah. (laughs) So do that for 25 years. 
Mm-hmm. Let's just go with a you know moderate return. Let's call it a five percent average return. Now, mm-hmm. word of caution here: rarely will your investments ever grow by the quote unquote average return. Mm-hmm. You know, one year your portfolio is going to go up twenty percent. Next year it'll go down fifteen percent. Next year it's up. 13%. Next year it's up 12%. Next year it's up 1%. Next year it's down 7%. It's going to be a roller coaster mm-hmm. ride. But we just need some number to plug into this right. equation for it to work. Yep, yep, yep. And I'm, you know, 5%, I think that's a somewhat conservative, Definitely. you know, growth uh, portfolio. Do that for 25 years, you know, by you know, by the end you've got 3.8 million. Mm-hmm. If you do it for 30 years, you've got 5.3 million. Boom. Now, <laughs> one other caveat here. We adjusted the need for inflation, but we didn't adjust our savings or our income for inflation. Mm-hmm. So assuming cost of living goes up, there's it's probably safe to assume your income might go up a little bit too. And your savings rate. And therefore your savings rate. So if we actually throw inflation into the equation and increase your savings in conjunction with inflation, you really, after 25 years, have more like five and a half million. And after 30 years, have closer to eight million in your mm-hmm. portfolio. So... While it may seem like, holy smokes, 5 million, 8, 7 million, 10 million, if that's the number you need to shoot for, this is a, you know, an insurmountable mountain to climb. It, it's really not. Yeah. If you just make sure you're saving 20% of your income, you're, you're going to likely be in good shape. Now, if you're only saving 10% of your income, mm-hmm. so instead of saving 80,000 a year, you're saving 40,000 a year, which means you're also spending an extra 40,000. So instead of you know, spending, you know, needing a hundred thousand a year from your portfolio, you need 140 to support the lifestyle, but you've saved half as much. All right. Now it's going to be a little tougher. You're going to have to keep working for a while. Yes. <laughs> or adjust some of your expectations. Absolutely. But, so really important, get started early, get started off. And if you can start saving 20% of your income early in your career, you're going to set yourself up for success. And the numbers we ran through didn't include any employer matching contributions at all. You know, mm-hmm. some of your employers put a pretty hefty amount away for you. So, yep. you know, there's a good chance that, you know, you might even be in a position to scale back sooner. Yeah. And I think there is a really big mental hurdle for some people, that 20% mark, when it adds up to such a big number, like $80,000. Like, how am I supposed to save $80,000 a year? And it's all a matter of perspective. If you just went from making $60,000 a year to $400,000 a year, yes, you can save $80,000 a year. And still like, give yourself a nice pay raise. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I understand, like, people have big student loan burdens, but, like, buy a smaller house. Like, there's so many things that you can do to reduce, like, your fixed monthly expenses so that you can save more, especially when you're at those really high income marks. And, and you can do it. Like, you just, you can. <laughs> well, we just talked about... What, what the numbers we ran through, we, mm-hmm. I mean, we had 90,000 of living expenses just going to debt and childcare, another yeah. 10,000 for food and mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine if, if you're listening while you're still in training, like your, your tax bill in when you're working as an attending is going to be higher than your income as a resident. Like your expenses, we just walked through like tripling your monthly expenses going from residency mm-hmm. to attending while still being on track to achieve your long-term goals of retirement. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very doable. You just, you know, we want to pay ourselves first rather than 
increasing our lifestyle first because then it's going to be hard to scale back down. Absolutely. And we do understand that not everyone is going to make $400,000 in a year as an attending. But, I mean, there's, you know, it's all a matter of scale. Yeah, you know, the numbers will be different for different people. Some people make more, some people make less. Mm -hmm. Um, Just for a rough example, you know, we could do a different example with different numbers, but the math will still work out the same. Yep. So... Anything else, Rochelle? I don't think so. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions about any of this, again, just feel free to reach out to us. There's the, the email address, the podcast at thefinitygroup.com, and then on social media. So track us down. Ask questions. Yep, just Google us. You'll find us. Have a good one. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com.